This week on Blue 58, the Packers are clinging to playoff hope. Is there any reason that we should, too? We'll take a look at the road ahead for the Packers as we try to answer that question and discuss why one particular position group might be making it more difficult for the Packers to succeed. Then, Greg Jennings was in the booth for the broadcast on Sunday. How did he do? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be with you here this week for yet another episode. Closing in on number 60, not quite there yet, but very excited to be climbing the ranks of total episodes. I guess just quantity is a quality all its own, so we're excited that you guys have been with us for nearly 60 episodes so far. This is enough hemming and hawing. Let's dive right in. First and foremost, discussing a Packers win. Getting kind of used to that feeling. Almost had one last week. Got one this week at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Packers tried their very best to give it away. Thought they were going to down the stretch there, but the the, the Buccaneers just wouldn't take them up on that offer. Jameis Winston, not very good. I think I actually described him as a walking turnover machine uh, in the recap post that I did from this game. That is a pretty generous description. Uh, it seems like he is sometimes at, uh, actively trying to lose the game just with some of the de- the decisions he makes. But take nothing away from the Packers either. You know, they were there to make the plays when they were there to be had. Dean Lowry scooping that ball right of the air and, scoop- uh, and scooting back for a touchdown. I uh, was talking to a friend who was actually a Vikings fan. But he got a kick out of that play. I think just about everybody did. He said Dean Lowry reminds him of a refrigerator just because he's very long on top and short on the bottom. And if you look at a picture of one of those freezer on the bottom refrigerators next to a picture of Dean Lowry, you can't unsee it. He has the he is the weirdest shape person on the Packers. Such a long torso. Shut, such stubby legs for such a tall guy. Anyway, very excited to see him score a touchdown. And, uh, you know, it's a great win for the Packers. And it doesn't matter if it's an ugly win. All that matters right now is that the Packers won and they are still technically alive for the playoffs. The story for me coming out of this one is Jamal Williams. Very excited to see him succeed. And Aaron Jones making a tremendous play when the Packers had to have one down the stretch as well. The defense... You know, the sack numbers look really great, but don't read too much into that. The the Buccaneers put two of their starting linemen on injured reserve in the week leading up to this game. Then their number two center couldn't go, so they had to play Evan Smith, formerly Evan Dietrich Smith at center, and that went terribly, especially for a guy who used to be a starting center. It just it, it, You really don't want to attribute too much of that miraculous pass rush from the Packers to the Packers themselves because the Buccaneers had absolutely nothing going on the offensive line. So if we can't read that or read into that too much, what can, if anything, can we take away from this game? Well, like I said up top, the Packers are still alive, and we'll discuss that as our main topic later on. But suffice it to say, they are technically still alive for the playoffs, which is, I guess, better than not being alive. But We'll dive into this again later on, but are they are they really contenders yet for the postseason? No, and uh, and we'll we'll unpack that a little bit more in a, in a bit. Secondly, though, and and importantly, they the Packers definitely have something in Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Coming out of training camp, Williams looked pretty okay. 
And then he looked really bad in the first few weeks of the season. But now it looks like he's figured it out. It looks like he understands what he has to do to be an NFL running back. And he's figured out what he can do with his skill set that allows him to be successful. Running hard between the tackles, taking on tacklers, and running through them when he gets the opportunity. Just being that ground and pound sort of power guy that the Packers have not really had since probably the 2013, early 2014 version of, of Eddie Lacy. Aaron Jones, it's it, he's phenomenal. I, I cannot remember the last time the Packers had a, a threat like him at running back. It's probably dating back to Amon Green. The last time the Packers had a real legitimate, I could break this at any time sort of running back. I guess Ryan Grant in his first year as the as the starting running back, uh, but it, it it's been a long time since the Packers have anybody who can run like he can. He's just a threat all the time, and you saw that in the in the one carry that he had. The play was bottled up. He made something out of nothing with a big assist from Jordy Nelson sprinting to the end zone, but there was nothing there. The play was broken. It was done. He just has the speed to turn it into into something, even when there's absolutely nothing there. Speaking of nothing, oh boy, Brett Hundley. My man, come on. Uh, it, it's depressing at this point, um, especially at home. You you probably saw this stat in our recap if you read what we publish at thepowersweep.com. But Brett Hundley has been absolutely abysmal at Lambeau Field. He's been competent at times on the road. Uh, his last couple of throws against the Bears in Chicago, a couple of the throws he made against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road come to mind. But at home, he's played four full games as a starting quarterback, 72 of 121 passing, 655 yards, zero touchdowns, and five interceptions for a passer rating of 57.0. I always have to use this comparison when talking about passer rating, uh, a if you threw the ball just directly into the ground on every single snap, your passer rating would be 39.6. Brett Hundley at home is not even 20 points better than just throwing the ball directly into the ground on each and every attempt. The Brett Hundley experiment, as a passer at least, has been a disappointing failure because he has not shown that he can do it really at all with any kind of regularity against an NFL-caliber defense. He can succeed as a runner, and in overtime, you really sh- you really saw a couple of different times how he can impact the game as a runner. He had one scramble where he got a first down, and then they did a read option play where he picked up 18 yards. I think that's where Brett Hundley needs to be living right now is just as a runner, and the Packers have to have to figure out a way to maximize his skills as a runner. Let's talk about the broadcasters a little bit because I was excited to have Greg Jennings in the booth on Sunday because I knew it was going to be a wild ride. Tim Brando, the play-by-play guy for Fox, I describe I would describe him as blandly fine. Uh, he used a bunch of old-timey expressions that were a little bit weird, uh, but by and large, not a lot of complaints about Mr. Brando. He did he did a pretty decent job uh, on Sunday. His companion, though, Greg Jennings, was interesting. Uh, specifically for volume-related reasons, I would say. What do I mean by that? Just take a listen. Clay Matthews is just going to keep coming. This is what he's been known for. He beats your he beats your tackle. He keeps hustling. He sticks with it, and he comes up with the big-time sack or the big-time 
tackle for a loss at a lot of times the crucial moments of a game right now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in scoring position. Just yelling. Uh, not not flat out yelling, but he's do, sort of doing the the weird yell talking that that makes it seem like he can't hear himself talk. Sometimes producers will do this on purpose. If a guy is having trouble being a little bit low energy, you'll intentionally put a little bit of extra crowd noise into the guy's uh, headset that makes you talk louder, just sort of naturally. Jennings was maintained that level of I'm just kind of talking like I can't really hear myself. For most of the entire game and it, it just got grating after a while then i had a thought and after i thought it i couldn't unthink it see if you if you get what i mean here jennings speaking the way that he did reminded me of a will ferrell skit i saw on saturday night live a long long time ago i have a rela- voice related medical condition oh i'm very sorry i suffer from voice immodulation tina I'm unable to control the pitch or volume of my voice. Greg Jennings, maybe he has voice modulation. He cannot control the tone or the pitch of his voice. He just sort of yells all the time. That said, he did not blow it the entire game, and I was expecting him to. I was expecting him to have an out-and-out booted call, and he did not blow it for the entire game until... The very last play. Yeah, and this is this is all what we talked about all game. Dirk Cutter mentioned it. Mike Smith mentioned it for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Lane integrity. They failed to deliver. And Jamal Williams, as he did all afternoon, made them play. Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones on that one. Excuse yes, me. Yes, it was. No small play there. Just the game deciding game-winning touchdown by Aaron Jones, who had played all of two snaps all afternoon, looks incredibly different from Jamal Williams, sprinting down the field into the end zone, and Greg Jennings calls him by the wrong name. It happens to everybody. Just maybe don't let it happen in the midst of the biggest play of the game. Moving on. Headline number two. Packers have a bit of a mess at wide receiver right now. Obviously, a lot of concerns, uh, or a lot of this concern, has to do with Brett Hundley and his seeming inability to produce on a regular basis as a passer. But the Packers are, have to be concerned about this because they have seven wide receivers on the roster right now. Almost one out of every seven players on the roster is then, by definition, a wide receiver. I would encourage you to take a full player-by-player look at our at our wide receiver breakdown because there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. Just looking quickly at their top three receivers, kind of de facto top three, uh, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, and Randall Cobb. Um, we'll go into Nelson in depth here in a second, but Adams is doing pretty well. He's producing the best out of all the receivers on the roster, even without... Uh, Aaron Rodgers. He would be probably having a career year if it was Rodgers throwing passes and not Hundley. And he's probably going to cash in pretty big next spring. That's good for Adams and probably good for the Packers. Uh, It's going to be expensive, but it is probably good for the Packers that he's producing so well, even with Brett Hundley throwing the passes. Randall Cobb, uh, the mirror image of that. He is not producing pretty much at all. Uh, And this past Sunday was not even targeted with one single pass. Despite being the Packers' highest paid wide receiver, he's got a cap number of $12.6 million this year. Very, very disappointing 
uh, from Randall Cobb, and I'm sure he's frustrated as well. Uh, I, I've been a Cobb apologist for a long time, in part because I think Aaron Rodgers really, really likes him. He looks for Cobb a lot on third downs, and he has a knack for picking them up. Last year, when the Packers played the Giants in the regular season, Cobb had something like six or seven catches. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was one of those games where he had 10 or 11 catches for just over 100 yards. I think something like five or six of the catches that he did have that night ended up going for first downs. And as a result, he ended up pretty much winning that game for the Packers by himself because he was coming up with those those crucial conversions. We're not seeing anything like that from, from Cobb anymore. But the player I really want to talk about at the at the receiver position, at least right now, is Jordy Nelson because I don't think there's anybody who's been more hurt by Aaron Rodgers being out than Nelson. You can pretty much put his season uh, into two two categories, before, before the injury and after the injury. Uh, before Aaron Rodgers went down, he had 20 catches for 240 yards and six touchdowns. After 23 catches, 170 yards, averaging 7.4 yards per catch and has not yet scored a touchdown with Brett Hundley throwing him the football. Um, it's a troubling end to Nelson's career. He's coming up here on the end. He's he's um, in his low 30s, and it's the time when receivers start to break down. Unless you're a physical marvel like uh, Donald Driver, who is great, even for a couple years beyond the age where Nelson is, performed well, yeah, had a couple thousand yard seasons, even heading towards his mid-30s. But uh, coming now into the end of his career, it's, it's we're starting to see Nelson fade. And I think after his ACL injury, he was pretty much limited to only attacking zones. He kind of feels out those soft spots and settles in where the defense can't find him while Aaron Rodgers extends plays and make something happen on his own. That works really well when Aaron Rodgers is your starting quarterback and can do that. But when you've got Brett Hundley back there, uh, who cannot, um, it makes it really hard for Nelson, a guy who can't win those one-on-one matchups as consistently anymore, to be productive at all. As a way of putting a bow on this, um, Nelson, as I mentioned, averaging 7.4 yards per catch with Brett Hundley during that same stretch, Richard Rodgers averaging nine yards per reception while catching the ball from Brett Hundley. That's a little bit disappointing. One more thing on wide receivers as we head into headline number three. It's getting a little bit weird and a little bit frustrating with Jeff Janis and Trevor Davis. They played a combined two snaps on offense this past Sunday, and that is not really an outlier. The Packers just do not play Janis and Davis on offense. Uh, Their skill set Notwithstanding, this is just ludicrous. I, I know that Jeff Janis has his limitations as a route runner and someone who can contribute on offense. Trevor Davis, much of the same. But it's just insane to have these guys on the roster and not play them. Exactly how insane is it? Extremely. And I mean extremely because literally no one else in the NFL is doing this. What do I mean by this? Interesting and fun research project for me and Gary this week. And we've got a, a, an article coming out about it the day this podcast is going to come out. Who is devoting roster spots to skill position players who only play on special teams? Not a lot of teams, as it turns out. The Packers have four quote-unquote skill position guys who are only playing special teams. It would be Janice and Davis, Joe Carriage, and Devontae Mays. Uh, by that we mean they are playing 70% or more of their total snaps the to- their total appearances in a game on Sundays 
uh, are coming on in special teams snaps. Green Bay is one of just five teams with two wide receivers who have played 70% or more of their total snaps on special teams. Furthermore, Janice and Davis are the only two wide receivers in the entire NFL who have been on a roster since week one and who have played over 70% of their snaps just on special teams. It's pretty reasonable to assume that the Packers are the only team in the league who had some sort of plan that involved using two of their roster spots on receivers that only play special teams. That seems like a tremendous waste of a roster spot to me and questionable deployment of your resources. You've only got 53 of these spots. Why are you using them on, on guys who play special teams and nothing else, even in situations where the Packers have needed those those spots to be used by receivers uh, because they've had injuries on offense, they still haven't played on offense. There, there was a, a time earlier this season where Jordy Nelson was a bit nicked up, even Randall Cobb a bit nicked up. These guys still didn't get on the roster. I think where this really hurts you, though, is on defense. It affects positions in a huge way, like cornerback, where you also need a lot of bodies to contribute and you just don't have them because you've got two active wide receivers who are only playing special teams. You might as well not have them be receivers at all. You might as well switch them to defensive back or something else. There's no reason for the Packers to be wasting roster spots like this, and I think it's hurting the team elsewhere. So what do the Packers do here? Well, Jeff Janis and Trevor Davis, I think, are both in precarious roster spot positions Moving forward, Janice is a free agent after this season. His rookie contract is going to be up. I think I could see the Packers bringing him back, but it, it's uh, probably a 50-50 proposition at best for Janice uh, if he does come back. There's no doubt he's very good on special teams, and it's very entertaining to watch him cover punts. But you can't do just that, uh, especially if you're not going to be doing it at like a Pro Bowl level. And he may be close to that, uh, but he hasn't made it so far. Davis, meanwhile, I thought was in serious trouble this past season because he's only in his second year as a fifth-round pick. And as we've seen, uh, the Packers not afraid to cut a fifth-round pick at receiver. They did it just this past spring, or summer, I guess, with uh, D'Angelo Yancey, a 2017 fifth-round pick who has now spent the entire season on the practice squad. Davis should not feel too safe in his roster spot heading into next season unless he really starts doing some things on offense here over the, the remainder of the rest of the of the 2017 season. More on that coming tomorrow or today uh, at thepowersweep.com. Be sure to check out that full article. Before we dive into the main topic of this week, I want to run something by you. Talk about superstitions. I am not superstitious. I would use the old pun and say I am a little stitious. Uh, I like to go on streaks with what I wear on game days. If I wear a shirt, and the Packers play well, I will try to continue wearing that shirt until they don't play well. And uh, t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and all that sort of stuff are all sorts of pretty typical game day apparel. And I want to point you towards the Power Sweep store on teespring.com. So you're looking to start a new superstition. What better way to do it than with a high quality t-shirt uh, from the Power Sweep from Teespring? They're great. I've got a couple of them and uh, they, they're soft. They fit well. They wash well. They're not those t-shirts that get really deformed when you throw them in the wash a couple times. And they're going to help you update update your game day style, uh, courtesy of the Power Sweep. In fact, I heard from a reader all the way from Switzerland uh, who really enjoys his Power Sweep 
t-shirt. If that doesn't convince you, I don't know what it, what will, because you know they they have all sorts of, of good stuff, all sorts of high quality goods of of many shapes and sizes in the fine country of Switzerland. So if that's not enough of an endorsement for you, I don't know what is. Uh, update, upgrade your game day superstitions thanks to a T-shirt from the Power Sweep. You can find your way over to that store courtesy of a link on our homepage at thepowersweep.com. Blue fifty-eight hit. Four weeks out from the end of the regular season, the Packers are still technically in the playoff hunt. So we got to ask the question now, especially in light of what the Pack or what we talked about last week, uh, just accepting that the season may in fact be over. Here we are a week later asking, are the Packers going to make the playoffs? Earlier today, today being Tuesday, the day we're recording this, I threw out on Twitter the question to our our, leader, our readers, our listeners, our followers on social media. Are the Packers going to make the playoffs? Do you want them to make the playoffs? Why or why not? Got a couple of responses, and I think they're, they're pretty telling. Uh, Rudy writes, no, because my heart can't take a buildup and then a letdown. I'm just choosing to arrive at acceptance. Can't blame you there, Rudy. I have tried to arrive at acceptance myself, but I'm finding myself a bit more tempted uh, by rooting for a playoff spot here as the Packers uh, head down the stretch. Matt, meanwhile, writes uh, a really thoughtful comment here, and I think uh, think there's a lot to unpack. Uh, Quoting verbatim here, Matt says, Football outsiders say the Packers have an approximately 10% chance of making the playoffs. A lot of things have to go right along with them winning out. I'm skeptical now, but a win against the Browns would make me lean yes. Right now, I'm a no. I think I agree with Matt's response, and I like a lot of what he has to say there. There are a lot of factors to consider as the Packers try to make their playoff push. Uh, First, there is no more tanking or quasi-tanking for the Packers. They are 100% banking on Aaron Rodgers coming back Not this week, but the next week. I don't know if that's wise or not, but that's where they seem to be headed. That takes them out of really that push for a top, top sort of draft pick like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, And that's not necessarily a bad thing if you can get into the playoffs and make some noise. But if you're not going to make the playoffs, really giving it that last push and ending up, like we pointed out, the 2016 Broncos, at 9-7, and seven, but still picking 19th overall in the draft, boy, that's that's about the worst. That's about the worst possible situation you could end up. I would hate to see the Packers go 9-7 and seven, ended up picking still practically in the 20s anyway. That'd be, a, a, that'd be seriously frustrating. Another factor con- to consider, even if Aaron Rodgers does come back, there are a lot of big hurdles to clear. The Packers have at least two really tough games um, assuming they beat the Browns and assuming that the Lions do what the Lions do towards the end of most seasons, the Packers still have to beat the Carolina Panthers and the Minnesota Vikings. Those are both winnable games if you have Aaron Rodgers as your starting quarterback, and the Packers would probably be the favorite in both of those games had everything else this season gone the same but Rodgers not broken his collarbone against the Vikings. He is not, however completely healthy. And even if he comes back ahead of the Carolina game and plays that game and the Vikings game and the Lions game, it's not fair to ourselves or to Aaron Rodgers to assume that he's going to be quote unquote right, right away. 
He still has some recovery to do. He still has to get back to being the Aaron Rodgers. Thirdly, we still have to remember that there is a before and an after here. There is a before Aaron Rodgers and there is an after Aaron Rodgers. Carolina, Minnesota, and Detroit are the after. Before they can even get to that, they have to handle the before. They have to handle the Cleveland Browns. This has been sort of frustrating to me because we have tried to make the power sweep sort of about bigger concepts around football and the Packers, and that sounds super lofty, and it's not really. We've just tried to avoid doing the um, preview, recap, you know, wash, rinse, repeat sort of cycle. We do previews and recaps on the blog and stuff, but we've tried to, to steer Blue 58, the podcast, away from just being those sort of constant recap sort of things. Um, we're trying to talk about issues that affect the Packers, philosophical things about how the team is built and stuff like that. But because of how the season has gone and how it's winding down now, it really has to be week to week, pretty much like the Packers. Um, they, they can't look at these bigger things. They can't toy around with concepts and installs and um, you know where you're trying to shape the roster because you just got to focus on winning one game each and every week. Otherwise, your season is over. This week, that happens to be the Browns. So let's do a little bit of a preview there with this game, mini game, that I'm calling Hope and Concern. Reasons for hope, reasons for concern. Sound good? We've got three of each. Three hopes, three concerns. Maybe four hopes, four concerns. Yeah, it's four and four. Four, four hopes, four concerns. First reason for hope for the Packers, uh, Deshaun Kaiser. He is very bad. Uh, second round pick for the Browns this year. Uh, interesting because the Packers were rumored to be considering him at the top of the second round. Uh, and they ultimately, uh, of course, went a different direction. But that was the hot rumor there that the Packers were considering taking a quarterback back when Brad Hundley was still a legitimate trade prospect. Moment of silence for those days. But he is not very good. In fact, uh, it'd be a battle between him and Hundley probably week in, week out, to see who is the uh, least impressive quarterback in the National Football League. So big reason for hope there. The Packers are playing another very bad quarterback. Flip side of that, a reason for concern, Josh Gordon is back, and Josh Gordon is very good. He had four catches for 80 yards last week in his first game in like a decade or so, give or take just a little bit. It feels like it's been about that long. He is exactly the kind of receiver who, who can give the Packers problems and I'm worried that after uh, getting his feet under him a little bit, that this will finally be when uh, Josh Gordon uh, gets that revenge game on the entire NFL for putting him on ice for, for quite a while. Um, I, I'm concerned about that. The Packers do tend to have problems defending those big, fast, strong receivers, though they did a pretty decent job on Deshaun Jackson and, and Mike Evans this past week. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about Josh Gordon. Reason for hope, flipping it over to defense, the Browns' pass defense is very bad. You don't get to be 0-12 without being very bad, and uh, one of the things they are very bad at is defending the pass. The concern, though, a reason for concern, and one of the reasons that they have not been super great against the past is because they have not had their first overall pick, Miles Garrett, a week in and week out this season. Uh, he has been injured off and on throughout the year, has pretty much been dealing with stuff since pretty much immediately after the draft. That's how kind of how things go when you're a Cleveland Browns draft pick. You just get hurt right away and you stay hurt forever until you either leave the National Football League or die. Hopefully you leave the National Football League first. But 
Uh, Garrett has been hurt for a lot of the season, but he is trending back towards healthy, and that could give the Packers some problems. Back on the hope side concerning the Packers, I think you have to have a lot of hope because of Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Williams has really gotten it done for the Packers this last couple weeks, and Aaron Jones was brilliant before that. It would be wonderful to see them both healthy and both playing well at the same time, and I think that takes a lot of pressure off Brett Hundley. The Packers would not have won this past Sunday if it wasn't for Williams and Jones doing what they did. If it was just the Brett Hundley show, good luck. Uh, the Packers would not have have won that game. It, it's as simple as that. They just would not have. The flip side of that is the Cleveland Browns have a very good rushing defense, uh, very very good rushing defense. They are second overall in the league in in DVOA, defense adjusted value over average, in run defense. That's that number we cite from Football Outsiders now and then. They are very very strong against the run. So I think there's a reason for concern here and that I, I'm afraid Mike McCarthy might outthink himself. I can see him. I can see the wheels turning. Him thinking, well, the Browns are not very good against the pass and they're really strong against the run. Maybe this is a place where we can get Brad Hundley going a little bit. And maybe they want to lean on him a little bit more than they probably should. I hope that isn't the case, but I can see the temptation being there for McCarthy and the Packers. One more reason for hope, one more reason for concern. Uh, There is a big hope in that the the Browns just continue to play as they have been because they're in the midst of a 13-game losing streak dating back to last season. You don't get to be 0-13 if you're not tremendously bad. You should at least have a chance to, to get off the schneid a couple times. The Browns have not been able to do that. The flip side of that is that streaks always have to come to an end. And I was thinking about this a lot, as, especially as we came out of the, the game this past Sunday with who we were playing. Uh, remember the 2009 Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They were very, very bad. I think they ended up going 2-14 and 14 that season. I should know that because I just had it pulled up looking for exactly when they lost their losing streak. They started that season 0-7. And you know who they played to get off that 0-7 streak? That would be the Green Bay Packers, who lost one of those games they definitely should not have lost on the road that season uh, in a humid, muggy day in Tampa. The Buccaneers wearing those creamsicle uniforms handed the Packers a 38-28 loss, and that was until this season Aaron Rodgers' last pick-six interception happened in that game. Anybody can get off a losing streak at any time, and I would hate to see the Packers' season really come to an end because they lost to a winless Cleveland Browns team. I'm not saying it will happen, but it could. Every streak has to come to an end sometime. And uh, boy, it would be really terrible to see that be that this week uh, in Cleveland for the Packers. While I've got you here, I want to talk a little bit more philosophically about Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. They are great fun. I'm having fun watching both of them this season. Really, you can see them develop as players almost week to week. It reminds me really of what Eddie Lacy and Jonathan Franklin were supposed to be. Uh, Jamal Williams, this this powerful, smashing running back, pretty much doing all of his work just between the tackles. But every so often, he will break a big one on a screen pass or something like that. Uh, I have fond memories of Eddie Lacy scoring a couple long touchdowns on screen passes in 2014. I like to go back and watch those highlights a lot. And I think we're, we're on track to have a couple of those 
from Jamal Williams, even just this season, in the past couple of weeks, in fact. Jonathan Franklin was supposed to be the, the perfect counterpoint to that, the, the pass-catching back, the fast, shifty, uh, maybe a little bit undersized, but it doesn't matter because he's so fast. We're finally getting that, to see that vision on the field in the form of Williams and Jones. I was talking to Gary about this, and, and he threw out the somewhat glum point that I he didn't know if both of these guys would still be with the Packers by the end of their rookie season. And I wonder if that even matters. Um, I, I've thought about this a lot over the past couple of seasons, especially as it pertains to Eddie Lacy. Your job, I think, as an NFL general manager is to get the most useful time that you can out of a particular player. If a guy is going to come into the NFL and he's going to be an NFL caliber player, which you assume that anybody who's lining up on a Sunday is, your job as a general manager is to get the most out of each and every one of those players as you possibly can. Some players, that might be 10, 12, 15 years of high-level play. Other guys, that might only be one contract. Eddie Lacy, it's starting to look like, is only going to be a one-contract sort of player. He's having a really disappointing year with the Seattle Seahawks, and I'd really doubt that he's with them or any other team in the league next year. But you know what? The Packers got a lot of use out of him in the years that he was here, and I think that was still a good draft pick just because you've got all of the useful seasons that you could out of Eddie Lacy. I think that's probably going to be a similar case with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, and we're looking way down the line here. But even if they do only stick around in Green Bay, that's probably uh, for one for one contractor for four years or maybe five years. I think that's fine because running back is a position where you can afford to churn a little bit on your roster. The Packers proved it this year. Uh, picking guys in the fourth, fifth, and seventh round, they've got at least two pretty solid players. And there's no reason that they couldn't do that again in just a couple of years. Unless you pick a guy like Le'Veon Bell and he turns out to be just perhaps the, the great running back of his generation or at least a, a five or ten year period, there's really no reason to to worry about churning running backs a little bit. And so I think with that in mind, you can enjoy Williams and Jones while they're with the Packers and not worry about what comes next. Really, not worrying about what comes next is is pretty good advice for, for most of what's going on in life. But I think as it pertains to running backs, it's it's especially good advice. You know, that's about all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for stopping by another episode of Blue 58. If you would be inclined to stop by our website, you can find it at thepowersweep.com. If you'd like to find us on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, search those sites for The Power Sweep at The Power Sweep at both of those fine websites, facebook.com slash thepowersweep or twitter.com slash thepowersweep if you are so inclined. If you'd like to reach us via email, as some of you have, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com is the best way to do that. If you'd like to support the show, do it at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Throw in a buck a month. Help us do everything that we need to do to keep this show running. Support us on teespring.com. Got some fine-looking t-shirts and hoodies there. And give us a a review on iTunes, if you please. No pressure there, but it is a good and free way to support the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all to become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week on Blue 58.